Welcome to NASA in Silicon Valley episode 43. Our guest today is Bruce Yost, the director of the Small Spacecraft Systems Virtual Institute here at NASA Ames. Basically, the Institute brings together a mix of organizations working on small satellites, which are about the size of a loaf of bread. This includes NASA, other federal government agencies, tech companies, universities, and even startups. In fact, on the day this podcast releases, the Institute is hosting a small satellite deep space symposium where NASA experts share how the agency is using small spacecraft for deep space science and exploration missions. The symposium will also announce the winners of the Centennial Challenge Program's Cube Quest Challenge. Now, the winners will get prize money in addition to being selected for a rocket launch to the moon. So, here to talk about it all is Bruce Yost. What brought you to NASA, Bruce, and kind of what brought you to Silicon Valley specifically? Well, I got involved with NASA as an intern out of college. Well, yeah, college, <laughs> and um, at Dryden, which was Dryden at the time, Armstrong. Okay, so it's just outside of LA, right? Uh, it's a bit outside of LA. A healthy drive outside yes, of LA. Yes, it's, it's not. It's in LA County, but that's about it. <laughs> yes, um, quite big. But when, when I was there, shuttle was just starting to fly. Okay, and uh, I was working for. I was, you know, interning, and then. Um, the, there was a lot of t uh, a lot of folks from JSC and KSC that would come into Dryden okay. to recover the shuttle and the crew, and I was do as I was doing my internship there, um, they said, "Hey, are you interested in a job at KSC?" And before I, you know, I was on the airplanes before I could answer really. Okay. So, so I liked that. Went back to KSC, did a lot of work at Off KSC, to Florida at Kennedy. Uh, yep, went from Southern California to Florida, and then uh, did a did a, uh, a stint at headquarters for about five years. After that, okay. And then uh, after that, we uh, got married in. Uh, uh, got married in in Florida actually before we moved, and then we came here in '95, I think it was. Oh wow! So it's been a while. I've been I've been in Ames most of my career. Were you always wanting to do NASA stuff growing up, or did it just a fortuitous like stumbled uh, into it? I think I was probably uh, a wayward college student um, one year when I saw the first shuttle landing at Edwards, and I said, you know, I think that's what I want to do. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And that just <laughs> that just flipped a bit from there, and that's what I took off on. Excellent. So when you went over to Kennedy, all the way to Florida, yep. you're you're leaving the California desert to the humid Florida Everglades. So uh, what were you working on? A shuttle was flying uh, quite a bit. You know, had a pretty high flight rate then, mm -hmm. and almost every mission uh, I, I supported the crew and I also supported payloads. So okay. every mission there was plenty of stuff for me to do. So I was I was very very busy there. Which was which is good. It's what you want to do as you come out of school. You're young. You know you can put in late uh, all nighters and stuff. You know it was good for a young person. So logistically support. What does that oh, mean? Sorry. Like what do you? Yeah, go into that. Yeah. So um, before and after the crew launched, there was a lot of uh, medical tests at the time that NASA wanted to run on them to see how spaceflight you know affected them. Okay. And these guys were the, the astronauts were flying the shuttle literally to the runway, and they wanted to make sure their vision was still you know accurate. Their their inner ears weren't uh, causing to to you know feel like they're flipping over when they're not. Things like that. So there was a lot of tests we ran on the, on the crew, and then on the other side was the payload processing. Um, we flew a lot of biology in those days for the same reason. We wanted to understand 
what was going on on the human physiology. So we used other things, plants sometimes, uh, sometimes rodents, to, to try to understand that. And there's a lot of processing preparations, what I mean by processing. Okay. That both before and after to, to do all those science experiments. Yeah, so it's not just going on up and doing a science experiment. There's a whole oh, lot of prep work. And tons of prep work. I'm sure paperwork as well. Yeah, that too. <laughs> and, and the safety has to be all, you know, everything has to be safe on the shuttle, of course. And that, and that ended up launching you over to headquarters and then eventually over here. Yeah, there was a, there was a startup that came uh, that, that was saying, hey, we're going to go to headquarters. It was a startup. Like and a company? A company. Or, yeah. uh, and they said, we're going to support the headquarters folks, and we need some people from the centers that understand what goes on at the centers. Okay. So they said, do you want to go? And I said, sure. So This is a part of like a contract, I'm guessing? It was a, con- yeah. it was a contract. We were, um, we were analysts, program analysts. There was a group of us from the centers, all of us pre- relatively young. Mm-hmm. And uh, we did five years there until it was time to come to Ames. Cool. Were you still doing shuttle-related stuff when you came out to Ames? Or? Yes. Started doing shuttle-related stuff, moved into station because then it was starting to come online. Okay. Um, and then after after that, then I got involved with small sets. It wasn't, it wasn't until we kind of, as a group, kind of got um, a little bit antsy to get more of our hardware into space. Okay. And while you're building the space station, it's kind of, you know, you have to build the space station. You have to lift yes. all of those pieces. <laughs> yes. So it was very hard to get some, a lot of our hardware into space for testing. So we decided to do small sats. So for people who are listening who have, don't have no clue, what is a small sat? So I define a small sat as something that's about, um, let me think in pounds, maybe 400 pounds and smaller in weight. Okay. And um, those, are, those are typically classified as space spacecraft that can be launched as a almost as an afterthought on somebody else's rocket like uh, they call okay. them sometimes secondary payloads auxiliary payloads but you're not the main go you're just the extra add-on at the last minute type of thing okay. so somebody's so, already paid millions of dollars right. for a rocket and you're like hey can i hit your ride can I, well can I, I hit your ride i won't pay millions but i'll pay a little bit i'll, I'll help you out a little bit a little bit and they say sure fine yeah. so that's that's what, how we define i define a small set as something that can share rides with other other spacecraft okay and then that's also different um we'd spoken with somebody earlier about CubeSats in like some of these other smaller spacecraft, but this is, you're, you're thinking a little bit bigger, not quite a cube, but... You know. well, actually, I, I consider... Or all of them? All of, exactly. It's all of the above. All of the above. The CubeSats are a class of secondary or small sats. They just happen to have a lot of uh, work that's been done on them to kind of standardize what, what shape they're in, how much they can weigh, mm-hmm. um, how they're, how they're, what, what you can and can't do with them as far as safety goes to, so you don't, you don't add increased risk to the overall mission. Okay. Um, so they're, they're special, cla- very, very successful, by the way. Yeah. Um, the, the, the idea sprung out of uh, a local university here, Stanford and uh, San Luis Obispo, Cal Poly in San Luis Obispo. Okay. And then uh, NASA Ames was, was the first NASA center to pick up on that concept and use it uh, to fly. And we've been flying uh, CubeSats f- over, what is it, what is it not? Um, it's been 10 years, at oh, least 10 wow. years. Yeah, it was 2005 and six is when we did the first one. Okay, and so if you're looking even at these larger ones pushing up on like 400 pounds, right. what kind of science, what kind of stuff goes up there? So on the, on the larger ones, it tends to be things that can carry rather large telescopes. And these telescopes can be aimed at the Earth for obvious, obvious reasons, you know, to watch what's going on in Earth, mm-hmm. or even aimed um, out at stars and planets and things like that. The larger ones like to be larger because the, <laughs> the, the larger the telescope is, the, more, the farther you can see and the more, um, yeah, the, the more, more crystal images that you get. As you get smaller with some of the CubeSats, they're still useful. There's a company in, in San Francisco making very good progress on, on imaging with very small CubeSats, but the, the, the laws of f- 
physics don't allow that to be um, as high resolution is what I'm looking for. Uh, what we did in the in the earlier days was we flew biological payloads. Okay. Uh, again, looking at the effects of spaceflight on bi- biology, especially at the genetic level, which is now becoming um, very, very important to NASA as we talk about crewmen surviving long missions to Mars and back. So talking about some of these payloads is this you know primarily payloads that will eventually go to the international space station for to be experimented or this is something that's orbiting the earth in of itself it's it's the it's the latter it's things that are self-sustaining or self uh, self-sufficient is what we're, we're always looking for um and they don't necessarily have to go, ever go to station Okay, so is it primarily just in orbit around Earth? Is that the idea, or does it, do you put it in other things? So uh, if I understand your question, there's, there's two reasons to go to uh, space. One is to re- remove the effect of, gra- or re- remove gravity from the equation. And for biological reasons, that's very important. Yeah. The other is to, from a biological standpoint, to be exposed to the same environment that the crewman would be exposed to. You can't really replicate that very easily on the ground, and you certainly don't want to expose a person yeah. to that on the ground. That doesn't make a lot of sense. So you can create models that can do that research for you in space. And then we apply the data to then the human crewman for uh, exploration purposes. And so kind of go into a little bit of like, what are the, the main benefits of using these smaller spacecrafts as opposed to the typical way that NASA has been doing things? So the first thing that people that come to people's minds is the cost. And that was only enabled by the fact that some of the launch vehicles were able to offer up ride shares to allow people to you know <laughs> share. You don't have to pay for the whole launch type of thing. Yeah. Uh, so the cost becomes very attractive because um, you can do a lot of missions and you, okay. can, you can repeat if you find, you know, you, you get a, respo- a result you're not expecting, or you can repeat it just to confirm that you found it. You can modify it, I'm guessing. Or modify it, yeah. you know, learn a little bit, test a little bit, learn a little bit more, test a little bit more. Um, so mainly the, the rapid turnaround time, um, which is which is part of the cost, but it, uh, but the rapid turnaround time makes it very attractive as, as opposed to waiting 10 years to get a single data point with, with a larger satellite. I was going to say, like some of the larger space telescopes, it's just, you know, the conception takes a long time, building it takes a long time, testing it, launching it, and then you're normally waiting years until it gets to its object. But you're looking at a much faster turnaround. Right. Now, not to say that the smaller satellites can do everything the larger ones can, especially, obviously, especially obviously. in telescopes. Yeah. But you certainly can do a lot of things quicker, um, like I said, try different things out. Uh, learn a little bit and then go again. Or if for some reason the the small satellite doesn't work properly for whatever reason, mm-hmm. it's since it wasn't very expensive, you can try it again. What are some of the examples of things that you've been working on of you know the instrumentation stuff? So the the first thing we did was we flew a, a, gene, a genetic experiment on GeneSat, okay. where, we, where we took we we co-opted some technology that was being developed here in the valley that was very small, um, small samples. You don't need large samples anymore. Okay. It got very, very uh, efficient and compact. And we adapted that, uh, those types of genetic assays to be able to be flown in space. And we used things like uh, bacteria or yeast as the uh, model organism. And so that, that was kind of my, cut my teeth on those uh, in those early missions. And we did, we did a series of those. As a matter of fact, um, I'm not involved with it right now, but the uh, Ames Research Center guys here are working on a thing called BioSentinel, which is a deep space version of GeneSat in a way where they're taking, I believe it's yeast, and putting it into a small CubeSat. But that CubeSat's going to be launched past the moon. Oh, and wow. so it's going to get very, very, we're very excited about the data we'll get from there because it'll be the first, I think someone said it'll be the furthest uh, anytime any known biology you know, from <laughs> Earth has been sent into space, even, even past the moon so that, you know, the Apollo astronauts were at the moon. So we'll be, yeah. we'll be past that. 
Oh, excellent. So they're excited about that. And now as these smaller spacecrafts have become a thing, you can put really cool science up, you have a you know, cheaper and a faster turnaround. Right. Um, now, as that's kind of grown, especially in this area, then I, I know you started being involved with this virtual institute as a kind of way that NASA's trying to you know, trying to understand and help collaborate with all of these different entities. Yeah, that's that's pretty close. The um, Virtual Institute is, well, it's virtual, obviously. It's, yeah, it's, it's, ba- cool. it's based here, but we're going to use, you know, modern day, um, you know, uh, internet tools and collaborative tools, uh, video conferencing and, and things like that to actually, uh, you know, communicate with other parts of NASA and others outside of NASA. But the idea of the Institute is to try to capture a lot of the uh, knowledge and expertise, if you will, of what, what's unique about small sets, uh-huh. and then to and then to kind of publish that out to this what I call the small satellite community, so that we can avoid repeating mistakes, uh, we can accelerate uh, technology faster, better type of thing, uh, we can continue to keep the cost down, but we can you know share it's a information sh- knowledge sharing device to to help out with uh, these small missions as they go forward. There's a lot of excitement and anticipation of these missions able to do a lot more of the the, the NASA science and exploration uh, roles, but we need to collaborate better on that so that we can do those. And, I'm, and so I'm really excited about being able to set that up. Yeah, that's really, it's cool. Cause like you figure as this as small sats become accessible to more people, and I mean, not only just universities and researchers, but even like students or people who are working on the cube sats, right. um, it, it really kind of opens up this whole thing. And the worst thing that could happen is people live in their own little silos and their own little thing, like little stovepipes of working on their stuff when you have an entire community that can help people all learn together, I guess. Exactly. And the, and that community is changing very rapidly. Um, wow. But we, we, want, we don't want to repeat mistakes. We want to, you know, uh, make connections between different groups, research groups and, and, and industry partners or, or government partners. Um, and, and just make sure that you make sure the awareness and the collaboration potential is is what, what you would expect in kind of a kind of a Silicon Valley kind of a, a tech kind of uh, 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 discipline we're talking about. I was going to say that probably makes sense of why it's based, at, you know, in Silicon Valley. I mean, because everything small sets and kind of startups, it kind of meshes well. Yeah, this, it's Silicon Valley is one of the one of the there's a, actually a number of hotbeds, I think, popping up right now. Yeah, but absolutely. but we're but Silicon Valley is certainly one of the recognized small sat kind of entrepreneurs entrepreneurial areas plus you've got other industries and in, in tech here as well so it kind of it kind of fit in excellent is it mainly universities and academics or is it a lot of startups and companies it's, and tech it's, companies? it's, it's all the co- all the companies that are working in small sets large and small there are some large ones yeah uh, it's any university which turns out um it looks it where nasa's on track i think to have at least one university in each of the 50 states working somehow in small sats that's that's we're getting close to that goal um it's uh it's the nasa centers of course but it's also the other military um, or, or government people, including the military, that have um, have invested a lot of money and time into developing technology that relates to small sets. We want to leverage that and, 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 and use it to our benefit. So what is your day-to-day starting to look like? What are the things of just trying to get this up off the ground? Obviously, you've been working in this for years. Part of it's kind of an IT uh, activity where I need to get the, vir- the virtual part established, including websites. Um, I can. I, there are some uh, really um, powerful, cool collaboration tools that aims already uses here at the center uh, in some of the other institutes. So I'm going yeah. to borrow or, or leverage those. Uh, so I got to get the kind of the infrastructure set up so we can actually collect and ingest uh, knowledge and information. But the, but the biggest, funnest part about it is the networking. Yeah. Is, is keeping up with what's going on in all these areas and capturing that uh, to share with, with other parts of, of, the, of the agency that, don't, that aren't really aware of all that stuff initially. 
Yeah, I know two of the people we have um, on the schedule of coming in to chat is, you know, our Astrobiology Institute yep. and also Survey, another yep. another virtual institute. So I'd imagine you're chatting with them and just kind of understand because it's the same concept of virtual right. <laughs> institute. Like, how do you collaborate online and with the, these communities? Exactly. All those groups have some very, uh, very... Uh, tried and proven tools that they've been using. We plan just to use those as well. Um, but it's a little different, right? It's not like going to a conference where you sit down yeah. and listen to a presentation. So it's got a little, it's, it's a little faster. Uh, right. It's hopefully it, it, it'll allow for more participation by, by different people than some people that can't travel to a location. Um, but then it does have its challenges that you have to you know capture things. I call it putting the genie in the bottle, back mm-hmm. in the bottle. But, um, so, but I'm looking forward to it. And that, that's just the infrastructure part. The getting the word out, I think, is the fun part. You know, talking about small sats and stuff every day is, is comes natural. So that's good. <laughs> Everybody loves talking yeah. about their work. This exactly. is awesome. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> I'd imagine it's also more than just the logistics of virtually connecting with people. Does NASA also have some... I don't know, is it like proposals or or funding things that they make the community aware of? or how? So, so, yes. So NASA does have more and more, as it turns out, um, solicitations, they call them, uh, that are uh, either targeted at directly or allow for um, researchers or technologists to you to propose as a small sat mission or, you know, activity. So what the, one of the things the Institute wants to do is to make sure a lot of people are aware of that. Okay. Um, that's, because the more people know about that, the better better kind of ideas and responses that the agency will get back. Uh, so yes, that's, that'll be a part of the Institute as it steps forward. We hope that that adds a lot of value, again, getting the visibility up of these things. I get a lot of questions from folks that say, hey, we have this great idea, uh-huh. but we don't know what to do with it. You know, how do, we, how do we get NASA to look at it? Well, so the Institute wants to help with that. All right, help make those connections. You know, make those connections and make sure people know what's going on and that sort of thing. Cool. So, you know, obviously this entire you know field has changed so much, even within the last like what, five to ten years. Oh, easily. Um, what What are you kind of excited for? What do you see in the next five to ten years of where this stuff can go? So the the thing that really uh, excites me, but it's also being talked about by a number of different uh, centers and, and people in the community, is uh, the potential roles that small sats can have. Um, that aren't necessarily going to replace what NASA does. You know, the, the bigger, larger missions. We're not. I don't. I don't think you're going to see a small sat in at Pluto. Although mm-hmm. New Horizons was not that big. Yeah. In, in, when you looked at it, but it was, it was. I wouldn't call that a small mission. Okay. But but uh, we do have plans um, and a lot of excitement and interest to have these spacecraft go out beyond the moon or to the moon and beyond, which BioSentinel is, is one of example of. There's a group at uh, JPL talking about using small sats as part of a mission role at Mars. To, oh, wow. to be a data relay as for some of their their other landers and things like that. So there's a lot of excitement in the deep space part of, of small sets. There's also a lot of excitement in the area of using distributed pieces of things or distributed numbers of small sets to work together as a group that can do things that you really couldn't just do with one single, even big set. Mm-hmm. So things where you want to measure something about the space environment, but over a large area at the same time. Because maybe you don't want one sm- one specific data point. You want right. multiple data exactly. points over an area. You want distributed multiple data points over an area over a distributed period of time so you can see things uh. change and, and that sort of thing. And so there's a lot of excitement on, we call it swarms, um, but, but, nice. there's a, but there's still some tricks. To how do you do that? If you have hundreds of these mm-hmm. small sats working together, 
well, wow, how, do you, how does that happen? I mean, there's no internet up there, so maybe you have to create some way for them to talk together. Yeah. And then you don't want to talk to all 100 of them. You'd be up all night. Yeah. So maybe you want to talk to one of them and have that one talk to the rest of the 99. Uh-huh. So there's some technologies in there that sound kind of, oh, that's obvious, but we really haven't done to uh, a large scale in, in, in space yet that we're very excited about doing. So talk a little bit about the CubeQuest challenge and how that all fits in. The CubeQuest Challenge is uh, uh, an award-based, awards-based um, activity where, as a competitive team um, achieves a, metro, uh, a milestone, they actually win money from from NASA, and they have a, what they call tournaments right now, ground tournaments. Okay. And the ground tournaments, there's been four of them, and they're leading up to uh, ground tournament four here at Ames um, in the research park, where the quote-unquote winners of the tournament will be announced, and they will be then. Uh, given a free ride on this mission I was talking about that's going out past the moon uh, planned for 2018. So the winners don't just get the award money um, yeah. from from d- achieving their technical uh, objectives. They get they get a chance to get a, f- a free launch, uh, which which also has um, a, their, their award criteria at the moon. You have, in other words, if you get to the moon and you can transmit back a certain amount of data, you win another prize. So there's, there's a lot of uh, prizes lined up in this. And so we're, we're going to be happily be supporting that with the uh, the CubeQuest team uh, here at Ames in June. So for anybody who's listening to this, who wants to figure out or learn more about some of the stuff that you're working on, Bruce, or you know, even wants to get involved, where's the best place for them to go? So I guess the, the first place to go is just nasa.gov and um, and even sometimes nasa.gov slash smallsats. Okay. There's a, there's a couple of sites there that address that. And then the, when the Institute site's ready, uh, it will then d- direct to that. Link on over. Link, link on over to that. And then, like I said, we'll have a lot of information on the, on the Institute site about upcoming launch opportunities, up, upcoming funding opportunities from NASA, um, lessons learned, learned, uh, a state-of-the-art uh, of all the different systems out there, and, and a lot more information that's, uh, that the small SAT community should find very valuable. Excellent. And also for anybody who's listening who has any specific questions for Bruce, we are on Twitter at NASA Ames. We are using the hashtag NASA Silicon Valley. And feel free to send something on over and we'll get it over to Bruce. Right, great. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks for coming over. Well, my pleasure.